Welcome to the Design Imposter Podcast, where we unravel the enigmatic realm of imposter syndrome. My name's Monique Jenkins. And I'm Jessica Vallis. We're two agency owners who've boldly faced the reality of imposter syndrome. We'll share relatable stories and practical insights that empower designers and business owners just like you. Together, we'll help you conquer self-doubt and unleash your true potential. Get ready to unveil your true brilliance. Welcome to Design Imposter. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Jessica Vallis. And I'm Monique Jenkins. Welcome to episode one of Design Imposter. I think it is absolutely insane that probably after a year of saying, oh yeah, we should do a podcast about graphic design and running a business, we are finally recording our first episode. Yeah, I think when we first started talking about the podcast, I was like, what do we have to say that's different than any other design podcast out there? So it just took us a little bit to warm up to the idea that we could say something our audience could resonate with. But we're here now, and I'm glad we are. Well, since our podcast is all about imposter syndrome and overcoming that voice of doubt and learning to trust your abilities, I think it's fitting that we first lay out our credentials when it comes to hosting a podcast and being agency owners. So Monique, tell us a little bit about your personal background. Cool. So I'm a mom to a beautiful little girl and a stinking cute Bernadoodle. I have an amazing husband who you will undoubtedly hear in the background at this of this podcast at some point. I'm a lover of all things bread and cheese. I have sarcasm for days. And I like to think that I'm all around good person whose ultimate goal is to be laying on someone's beach somewhere in the world. Nice. What made you gravitate towards design? And what, what, how did that contribute to your professional background? So back in the days of MySpace, uh, I would be creating these like super cool collages for friends, or at least they seemed super cool at the time, um, that you could use on your pages for your profile pictures um, and things like that. And um, I never really thought much about that. I knew I was going to go to college and I'd always wanted to be a lawyer. I thought that was like a really cool career. And I thought that's where my life was going to align to. But once I got to college, I started with majoring in business uh, with a minor in English, a minor in marketing, a minor in science. I was all over the place. Um, but after I took some marketing classes, I realized that I liked the visual side of design a lot more than getting someone to purchase something. So I dropped all my minors and I switched to a major in communication with a concentration in marketing. And then after I graduated college, I went to the University of Baltimore to get a master's in design. Professionally, I have about 12 years of experience in graphic, web, and user experience design. I'm a design professor at Towson University, a mentor at Thinkful and user experience and user interface design. I run a non-for-profit in Baltimore aimed at helping women and non-binary creatives advance into executive positions. And I also run my own design agency, Jenkins Creative. And I started my company because as I navigated different industries as I was working, I started to notice the lack of representation specifically for people who look like me. I found myself being the only Black person or the only woman in almost all of the rooms that I was in, which seemed weird given that there are more than 2 million Black-owned businesses in the United States and we gross $150 billion annually. You can cue like the, the musical sounds at, the, at that point. Um, so um, my thought was, how do I help us advance in our business? And from my experience, I understood how important it was to have a brand that is easily recognizable to your audience and how effective design can help people navigate your site. So uh, I think that when people think about 
design or, or think about their brand, they really think about their logo. And your brand is about reinforcing your brand voice and your tone, as well as your logo and your identity and helping people to kind of suss out, you know, how they make that relatable to their products and services always has served me really well. Um, and I wanted to be able to represent that to the community around me. Brand is more important than ever with social media uh, allowing customers to gain so much exposure to you on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's what I get to do for other people's businesses. I love that you said that branding is more than logo because that is probably my least favorite part of a brand is the logo. It is one image. Brand is everything else. It's the feel that people get when they look at your company. It's the reputation. It's the messaging. So it's a lot more than a logo. So I'm really glad that you said that. We also hate logo design. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Uh, sorry. We'll do it. We'll do it. It's just not our favorite. <laughs> it is not our favorite. Uh, so Jessica, tell the imposters listening about your background, both professional and personal. Let's start with personal. Okay. Personally, I am a mother of two boys, George and Finn. Um, they are almost four and five, and um, they're crazy wild. Uh, they love bugs and the Titanic for some reason. Um, and they're very hands-on, which keeps me busy. I'm also a cop wife. Um, my husband works in Baltimore City. I'm a world traveler. I've done a lot of solo travel. I've been to England more times than I can count, to the point that I'm not a tourist anymore. I've been to France, Germany, New Zealand, uh, Iceland, Malaysia, Japan, Hong Kong, and I'm sure there's other ones that I'm just missing here. But um, I just want to keep adding to that list. And um, I'm also a wannabe interior remodeler. I'm like the Joanna Gaines of home remodeling, but if you were for like mid-century modern look. So uh, I don't do the, the shabby chic farmhouse feel. I'm all about those bold colors and really dated wallpapers. Uh, BT dubs, uh, Jessica has never invited me on vacation in all of the places that she has gone. I've been well, to Ocean City, so... Oh, yeah. please, you go to Jamaica and all over the place with your family. I mean... I'm saying, like, I've never been to Germany. Like, Jamaica is like the ocean city. Of, no, I'm just kidding. Didn't you Jamaica get a passport beautiful. for your baby? Like, I, I did. Weeks after she, she was born. born. Yep. <laughs> I don't play those games. We going out of the country. Let's go. Let's go yeah. right now. George has a passport when we went to Mexico, but I still have to get one for, for Finn. So put that on my to-do list. Um, but anyways, um, so I guess professionally, um, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for college, I was all over the place because I felt like I was good at so many things. I enjoyed art, creative, you know, like creative art, um, creative writing, public speaking, uh, things that involved like a leadership role. So I ended up majoring in business communication at Stevenson University, and that focused on every form of communication, visual, oral, written interpersonal, corporate, and cultural. And it was one of those courses where I felt like I didn't need to study because it felt like I was getting a degree in being myself. It just, everything came so naturally. And because everything was so diverse, it really opened up the job market for me. Um, right out of college, I got my first corporate job at Wells Fargo Securities in equity research um, as a publishing coordinator for um, different reports, notes, and conference materials about stocks, industries, um, and then just different recommendations that analysts would make about, you know, the world of investment. Um, and I would 
help these analysts make sure that their research was compliant. I would format 200 to 300 page reports, uh, apply branding, and then I would queue everything up for when the stock market opened and closed. Not crazy exciting, um, but I did end up learning how to streamline processes from something that would normally take three hours to 30 minutes. And that's when I decided to go back to college uh, while working full time. And uh, I received my master's in publication design. Um, I worked with Wells Fargo for almost eight years until I was part of a department layoff in July 2019. And I was six months pregnant with my son, Finn. And I had already had thoughts of starting my own business. And you just get that initial panic when you're pregnant and you lose a job. Like, oh my God, how am I going to support my baby? You're like, well, I've got severance. It's not like I don't have another source of income, but you just start to panic. I'm like, you know, it's going to take at least one month to find a job and get an interview. It's going to take another month for the onboarding process. And then next thing you know, I'm going to have a baby. So who's going to hire a very pregnant woman to show up and then disappear for a while? So that was kind of my sink or swim, let's start a business moment. And um, so I had my baby and he would come with me in his little uh, car seat to like networking events. I'm like, sorry, here's the newborn. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how cute. You're so dedicated. I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, that's a great like open liner. Like, oh, yeah, people would be like, baby. oh, I love kids. I love kids. <laughs> Look at my and baby, but give actually, me a job, at too. one at one of the meetings where I brought my son, uh, Finn, I actually met one of my first like long term clients who I still work with, and he was like, "Oh, I love kids," and nice. he didn't seem to mind at all. Um, but then March 2020 hits, and the world shuts down, and life got crazy because of COVID, and people were just holding on to their their dollars, understandably. So it was a little bit of a slow start for me getting my agency started. Um, not only did we have COVID, but when I left Wells Fargo, everything was confidential. So I was not allowed to bring my portfolio with me. So I was starting a business and had nothing to show for it. But um, after 2020, we get to 2021 and Harvard Designs breaks six figures. Uh, we brought on contractors and I started mentoring and it's been an amazing journey ever That's since. That's really cool. I think your story and mine's differ very severely in like how we treated like after college. Like Wells Fargo was secure for you. So like I 100% understand like why you stayed there. I hopped. I hopped all the places and all the companies and all the sectors from politics to education to fintech to government all over the place to just like find the place that best suits me. But I'm also a sh very firm believer and like hop around and get your capital uh, I felt wherever like, you can go. I felt like I never knew where you were working every time I messaged you. It would yeah. be someplace new. I'm like, I just talked to you three months ago. What do you mean you're starting at a new company? I got no loyalty. Uh, I'm loyal to <laughs> me. Okay. Um, I'm loyal to me. Long are the days where someone works at a company for 30 years and just like stays there and is complacent. I'm very much a person who's like, yeah, you gonna pay me an extra what? 50, 60,000 dollars? Girl, I would love to be on your design team. Let's go. Let's get over here. Let's be a part of this. Um, so yes, I yeah, it was hard to keep track for me even sometimes to be at a new space, but it all worked out for the best. I think it gave me a lot of context and a lot of areas that I wouldn't have otherwise been comfortable in. I think like my ability to jump into a new sector and start to gain knowledge and understand and then just run is like 
incredibly high because education and fintech have nothing to do with each other. Working for the government is wildly different than working, you know, at an agency or, you know, in a retail space or something like that. Like all of those are so wildly different that I think it gives me an opportunity to be really full service for clients because I have a little bit of experience in a bunch of different sectors. However, like you, if I would have found something that was like super solid and stable, then like I certainly could have stayed. But I was always in like a space where, you know, we're about to hit a massive run of layoffs for one reason or another, or I get bored really easily. Um, I'd be like, oh, we designing pamphlets again? That's crazy. (laughs) I gotta go. I knew, I kind of knew my layoff was coming because the work just started to really slow down. I kept asking like, are we going to get a temp for when I go on maternity leave? And they kept putting it off. So actually, I got laid off when I was on a week-long vacation, but for like a couple weeks before, I had slowly started to clear my desk out. And so when I finally got laid off, there was like nothing for them to send back to me. They're like, do you want this box of tissues? I'm like, no, just throw it out. (laughs) There's nothing of importance there anymore. That's crazy. But I always tell people, you should start to, like, you should see the signs. Like, I think like, don't be so inundated into like what someone at a company is saying to you that you don't see the signs of like things happening, which like you started to recognize like, hey, work is starting to slow down drastically. What's going on here? Let me start to get my stuff. Let me start to kind of like pack myself to get myself in a place to be out of here, even though you knew a layoff was coming. And if you know a layoff is coming, stay, get your severance and then yeah. you know, take the and- time that you need to. And if you can make it through maternity leave, exactly. do it. <laughs> get exactly. those four months. A hundred percent. Look, uh, get your time in and let them do that. And, you know, severance. You you can get severance. You probably can start working another job. That's double the income. I like those odds. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you talked about jumping around a lot. Tell us about how you went from design to UX. So I was working at a publishing company in Baltimore that dealt with um, stocks and investments and things like that. And we pushed out a promotional offer for some service. I don't even remember what it was on a Friday. And when we came back on Monday, it bombed. It was like a million dollar promotion is what it took for like production you know, all of the design, marketing, and all that jazz in between, copy. And um, it just bombed. It didn't do well at all. And our CEO at the time came to me and was like, Monique, if you would have used red instead of blue, we would have sold $2 million worth of product. And I was like, okay, cool. That's me. Does the design that didn't do it. Um, But that made me start to think about you know, how design kind of manifests uh, for the end user and what that looked like. And at that time, I'd never heard of user experience design. I didn't even know what that was. And I just knew that something wasn't right. Like, first of all, I'm not about to take the accountability for an entire company failing at something. But like, of course, it would be me, the lonely Black girl. Um, But also, uh, how do I take that information and make it actionable in a way that serves me in the future? So I started talking to our marketing team. I started talking to our customer service team. I started trying to listen in on phone calls and have a better understanding of like what was happening because those departments were getting complaints about the design, complaints about the product that was actually being offered, complaints about a bunch of things, but it wasn't manifesting anywhere. They would just kind of internalize that information 
and never use it to make our product or service better. So once I started to get, you know, gather all this insight, I started making those things actionable. So like when I was a designer, I've really thought about design from a very like aesthetic space. I was like, hey, I need to make sure the colors all match and I need to make sure that there's hierarchy. But what I wasn't taking into consideration was like color contrast, like how buttons that are of a similar shade to my color palette, although aesthetically pleasing, had no real functional value for someone who was coming into our business because they couldn't see that. They couldn't distinguish between like what was an actionable item that they needed to do um, to click on versus what was just like flutter for them not to really pay attention to. And with heat mapping, I started to see that they were engaging or clicking on images, maybe to gain more clarity, maybe because, you know, we were having an older audience segment. There were mostly white males who were in their 50s who had a couple mil in the bank. Um, And I needed to be able to allow them to engage with certain elements that I wasn't thinking about before because it wasn't feedback that I had ever gotten. So um, internalizing all of that, I wanted to go back to school. At this point, I'd already gotten my master's and... We never talked about user experience design. I don't think it ever even came up in our program. But afterwards, I went back to the University of Baltimore and I started to look into a certificate program that would help me gain a better understanding of audience segments. And once I did that, I was like, okay, I'm never going back. Also, someone paid me my first $100,000 and I was like, that's it. That's it right there. That transition from graphic design where you were making 50 to this one over here where you're making 100. This is exactly where you need to go, baby. Let's get follow the um, money, right? Exactly. Um, so that's how I kind of made that that uh, that transition. It wasn't hard. I don't think the shift from design to user experience is hard. I think that it's hard to challenge yourself on some preconceived notions that you have as a designer, which is like, I like this design, so I think it works. Um, is the mentality that I used to have to. What best serves the people that we are trying to touch? What are we trying to actually get them to do? Do we want them to, you know, sign up for a newsletter? Do we want them to click on a specific button to engage with an element? Like, what's the intention behind what we're doing? And now I'm all about functionality over design. So what functionally needs to work in order for design to manifest? So design and aesthetics is like the icing on the cake, but the cake itself is user experience design. Well, thank you for enlightening me about that. I love it. I think it's interesting that you look at things from the user side. And then when I'm designing websites, a lot of times my clients aren't quite there at a budget scale to like have a full on UX experience and, you know, all this research, but they care about search results. So when I'm designing, I'm not necessarily, I mean, I'm trying to think of the user, but I'm also thinking about like how search engines are going to crawl the site. and I think it's very interesting when you have the budget and you can mesh the two elements of search engine optimization, UX experience, and put it together and see, like, that's that's an amazing site that comes out of that. Agreed. Um, so let's tell everybody kind of how we met. Uh, of course. It was so long ago. We're very old now. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we met in grad school uh, way before we had businesses, families, um, and we were just kind of kindred spirits who got along really well. We bonded in the classroom over critiques, uh, and it was really funny because we would critique each other's work probably pretty harshly. And I think that helped us to bond over 
our shared inexperience. Uh, and it also allowed us to tap into each other's knowledge pools and to just get better. Um, and I think that that mutual level of like, you know, hey, your work sucks, Monique. That's <laughs> um, pretty good for us, at least. And it, and oh, it yeah. kind of helped us to form a relationship. When you're in grad school for like something like graphic design, you are not, you are the opposite of an imposter. And we were definitely like, yes, our stuff's the best. I'm going to critique you. But we were all in the same boat. Um, there is this one time, and I'll never forget this story. Uh, we were in this six hour Saturday class and we had to do everything from scratch for this one project. If it meant taking pictures on your own, um, do it, writing the text, doing the copy, um, and just putting everything together from scratch. And I don't remember the specifics of the project, but somebody used these quotation marks um, from some obscure font as a design accent. It wasn't even for a quote, which was strange in itself. But I remember looking at the design because this quotation mark was just kind of floating around. And I said, I think that quote looks like sperm. And the, <laughs> and the whole room was like... <gasps> I can't believe she said that. It went silent for a moment. But then someone chimed in and was like, actually, I think it does. I think it's phallic. And I think that uh, person was you. I think that someone was me. Uh, that sounds on par with uh, who I was at that particular time. Um, but yeah, I think I think us just being able to sit in a classroom. And I mean, after we like had our initial conversations and after that very long Saturday class, we just started to talk to each other and I think that like our lives aligned in ways that were unexpected for both of us like I think you had just met your husband or you were like going on a blind date or something with oh him. no no that was not a blind date that was we, a that was a meet him at the bar kind of a story I feel like before you met Chris I was there uh BT yeah you definitely Chris. were we had parties at my apartment and <laughs> <laughs> we had the, the design crew yes um so I was like Brian's been here forever. Uh, <laughs> that's my husband. He's literally been with me since I think I was 18 or so, 20. Long time like love. That. Yes. Um, but I was like, I remember before Chris, because we were talking about like spouses and I think I was probably complaining about Brian at the time. And you were like, <laughs> oh, I'm about to go on this date with this guy named Chris. I hope it goes well. And I was oh my like, gosh. Love that first sight. <laughs> yes. Um. But yeah, it just, uh, we just, we just had a good vibe and we kept in touch and, you know, babies and marriages and, and all that jazz. Uh, later, here we are working together. Yeah. And I think uh, it's really interesting. So our, our story kind of started with critiquing grad school. And even after grad school, we would still send each other our work for peer review yeah. and be like, what do you think of this? What would you do about this? Um. So it's it's really nice to see each other's journey on like a education level, but also on a professional scale. And now that we're on a professional scale and we trust each other's opinions, we've come together to do this podcast and our two agencies collaborate together all the time. Uh, funny though, I think you were on a date with Chris and you text me and you were like, Monique, look at this menu. Look at the kerning here. It's not good. <laughs> oh my gosh. I still do that all the time. Honey, look. There's um there's an extra space after this word or uh, the line height is off or they, oh I think they used a different font here and he's just like honey or the time Jessica nobody knows <laughs> nobody cares and I'm like I care I care and I still do that same <laughs> I, I just actually I just uh, did a website for a local restaurant 
and I'm going through and I'm like, look at this on the print version. Well, we'll fix that on the web. Yeah. Nobody will, you know, we'll, we'll get that ironed out. Yeah. Brian hates me. Uh, he's like, baby, I just want you to order the cheeseburger. There's no time to critique. I'm hungry. And yeah. I'd be like, just give me like five minutes to just tell them what could be better about this menu. And he's like, they They're don't They're not going to spend $500 on a reprint. I know. And he's like, they don't care. No one else has noticed it. The commas aren't in the right place. Just get over it. Let's Listen, order. The lack of together. comma or the, the irregular bolding of this menu is going to make my burger not taste as well. Exactly. Okay. It's going exactly. to destroy the entire user experience of this restaurant for me. Okay. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, He does not like me uh, some days. And I get it. It's cool. Um, So let's tell the people how our two different agencies, uh, how we kind of collaborate on projects. Yeah. So we kind of already talked about how Monique's side of the business focuses on more UX. And mine kind of focuses a lot more on just like visuals and the SEO side of things. Um, and my clients tend to be on a smaller scale. They are small local businesses. Um, it started off with, I mean, I said I couldn't take my portfolio with me. So I was taking any client that came my way during COVID. Budgets were small. So that's kind of how I got into working with small businesses. Um, but now I've gravitated away from just like startups to small person businesses between one to maybe 10, 20 team members on board. They've been in business for a couple of years. They're ready to make that transition from, this was my original website. We've grown significantly. Now we're trying to, you know, grow up, glow up a little bit. Um, so I have, I take on a couple clients every month um, and then they tend to stay with me for a while. I take on multiple projects and, you know, they've got, decent budgets for small businesses and I try to work around them. Um, but I think you're different in that you'll get that one big client and that is your client mm-hmm. all year. Yeah. Show me the money and then we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. I, our audience are different because yeah, I think yours is more small businesses. I don't really know how people be finding me a hundred percent. I think it's all networking at this point for my agency, but um, yeah, I take on clients that have a larger budget, probably in like the thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar uh range, and then uh work with them on a project. I think sometimes the projects it's probably take a year. Sometimes the projects take a week. Like we've done pushed out a website, a promotional website in about a week for a client for thirty thousand dollars. Um and uh I do uh, as Jessica said, focus on user experience. So how can we use uh, what the user wants and what the business wants in order to effectively push out a promotional offer or something that we intend for this audience segment to do. Um, and it's been working out well. I think our our businesses mesh in a lot of different ways because we serve different clients and uh, you get to experience different things. Like the level of like attention or detail, I think that I've gotten from clients who had a $500 budget versus the level of like interest and things like that from a $50,000 client are wildly different. And it's interesting to just like note that as like an option out there in the universe, which is like people who have a lower budget tend to be a little bit more in the weeds of like the day-to-day like interaction of what you're doing with their project. People who pay you 50000 
are like, yeah, you're the expert and we expect for you to like get it done. Uh, so it's a very like interesting dynamic, uh, how our audience segments kind of, uh, kind of change. Yeah. It's interesting too, because when I say like working with small businesses, um, these still aren't even the clients who, oh, I've got a $500 budget to redo my website. They're usually within like the $10,000 range. And it's all about working within that budget because not only are these small businesses, but their first experience with a website designer or with SEO, they were likely burned. Mm -hmm. So they're not about to hand over, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. But what's great about starting kind of in the low stage is that we build that trust factor and most of them stay on as retainer and we continue to build that relationship. And you're working with me now on one client, one of my very first clients. Um, and they came back and they said, we're ready. We love the site still. We want to glow up. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to bring Monique on and you've got a bigger, a little bit of a bigger budget this time and we'll bring that UX experience on. And they are so excited. Yeah. I, um, and I think that's where we differ too. Like, I think that my clients are like hidden and quit it for lack of a better term is like, we're going to work together once and then we're never probably going to see each other again, which is fine. I love long relationships, but I don't think that my relationships with my clients manifest in like, hey, we're going to do a multitude of projects, maybe sometimes, but not all the time. I think uh, maybe one or two of the projects that we had, like they came back for additional work and things like that. But I think that we become friends, which is an interesting perspective. Like, I think that all of the clients that we've worked with in the past have my cell phone number and text me randomly about life and other things and ask about my daughter or my husband or oh, yeah. ask about us and things like that. So, like, they don't manifest all the time as, like, new work, but they do, like, stick around to just, like, check in I, and, and be a part of life. I actually just, I actually just told a long-term client, I was like, can you stop calling my business phone number and just call my cell because I don't pick up my business line because it's always spam. I was like, but you know, we've been working together for years. So please, you've got my cell phone number because we yeah. were, you know, we were friendly before we even started working together on a business end. So it's like, yeah. call the cell. I'll pick it up. Yeah. I don't think I, I, I canceled my business line because like I would never look at that phone for anything. Uh, so I gave everyone my actual cell phone number, which, you know, yay and nay, guys. Some If you're going to get a client text at three o'clock in the morning asking, you know, why this logo is not proportionally right, like that's the life that you lead sometimes. But for the most part, people have been incredibly respectful and I will not respond to your message at three o'clock in the morning. You will have to hit me at nine when I wake up and see it. I got um, things to do like sleep. Uh, but I always find it interesting that these like one-off projects manifest as, you know, greater friendships. And I'm going to monetize that after time. I'm going to put all of those people in the same room. Cause I think even in our client bases, there are connections that can be made amongst them for their respective businesses with other clients that we've worked with before. Uh, and I think creating some type of support system and group for those clients that are at wildly different levels, but like have information that they can share will be enriching for everyone kind of moving forward and kind of, you know, you form a little like business posse and I'm down with that. Oh yeah. It's interesting to see how many of my clients actually know each other. And I'm like, but they didn't refer me to each other. It just yeah. kind of popped up. Yeah. So, it, you know, and I think that's the nice thing about working with small businesses too. And in small communities is that people know each other and 
they're more trusting of each individual successes versus like a, a larger scale company where they're looking for RFPs from like 10, 20 different design agencies before they pick. Whereas in a smaller base, they're like, well, I worked with Jessica before and I trust her. And they're like, okay, I'll work with Jessica then. Yeah, that not that is that's not. bad. You you should ask. You should look for options, but yeah. you know, trust your gut and see what feels best. That is not my life. RFP RFPs are my world right now. I hate them because they are incredibly long. Also, like I think that sometimes companies they're doing like this like whole like I don't know rivalry thing where they have like twenty RFPs to look at when they really like already have a firm that they want to go with. I would prefer you just tell me that so I could whip something together real quick and like get it out of the way so I don't have to focus on that. Um, so I could just like do you a solid real quick rather than like spend three hours meticulously designing and putting in valid like perspectives and points as to why we deserve this project and what is going to happen for you to be like, yeah, we already knew that we wanted to work with Jessica. We just needed like a couple other people because some companies require that you have at least three RFPs before you can like close uh, a deal or close a contract or something just be like Monique I just need you to whip something up real quick give me like the 20 minute proposal so that I can say no and then I can move forward with the company that I actually want to work with yeah um, it's it's interesting with the uh, the RFPs which stands for request for proposal for anybody who's not aware um that sometimes they're just like you know give me the pricing give me an outline of you know your timeline and how the process works and then there's others where they're like make recommendations on how we could do better. Look at this and, you know, define and outline. And it's like, you did not hire me yet. Yeah. And I don't (laughs) do spec work. No, I remember, I think, because we've been together for so long, you were applying for Under Armour one time. And they were like, before we interview you, you need to put together a design and send it in. And you you were contemplating. And I was like, Monique, you're not getting paid for that design, honey. Don't do it. I mentioned that I've told an endless amount of junior designers, like, don't do it. Don't. Yeah. They're not going to pay you for your time. Do not get into this whole, let me conceptually gather a bunch of like data points from a bunch of different designers and pick out what we want and what we don't want. If you want me, you better pay me or pay, you know, designers that you're going to interview for a time that it takes them to do some type of case study or something like that. Like, I think giving someone a $50 or $100 gift card for their time and effort or capping the amount of time that it takes for them to complete a project, which people never do. Like I, I certainly give out design tests when I'm interviewing people. And I always think like, don't spend more than an hour on this. And people are always like, well, I actually spent 12 hours. And I'm like, no, an hour to just like do the basics and then get it out of the way. But not like, don't invest 30 hours of work into this because you're not getting paid for it. Yeah, I just onboarded somebody on Monday to help with content writing and um, but specifically for content writing with AI. And I was showing her my process and I was like, do not spend more than 20 minutes per article on this. Like you're having AI help do a refresh on the the copy. Like you don't have to take it too seriously. Look for these things. And she's like, "Uh, I just did three articles. And I was like, you started three, three hours ago. (laughs) <laughs> it's not that serious. Like, just yeah. just pump them out. It's a it's a workhouse here. You want to prove yourself though when you're a junior I designer. I remember, like, I remember being like, I don't even know what I don't even know, and trying to figure out like best path forward, and failing horribly at it, and not being confident in my work. You know, cue imposter syndrome, um, and being like, yeah, I just I want to do the best humanly possible 
for this. And um, I just, it just would not go well or did not go well. It was all a learning experience and it definitely shaped who I am now. But um, at, in the beginning, I think it's very hard to stop yourself from some things. Yeah, I think this is a great segue to kind of closing out the episode and just to kind of briefly go over some of the things we're going to discuss in future episodes like RFPs and proposals, contracts, uh, packaging, um, mentorship. What are what are a couple other things you can think of? I don't know. Uh, off the top of my head, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I need to look. There's a lot. There's a lot to cover. Um, but you guys have to stay tuned to hear all the amazingness. Uh, we're going to walk you, I think these first couple episodes will walk you through how each of us runs our business, how we find clients, how we price our work, proposals and contracts like Jessica was talking about um, to help you kind of start your business or start your enterprise and how you find the right clients, all of that jazz in between. And then uh, eventually we'll go into some more um, fun and free episodes. But at first, we kind of just want to outline how you would get started as a design agency owner uh, and the things that you kind of need to do. And we'll have guest speakers who will come on and give you their perspectives on how they run their own respective businesses or, you know, tax accountants, how you should set up your LLC or S-Corp or all of that jazz in between. So you'll have to stay tuned and we will have all that funness for you soon. Yeah. Join us uh, for the next episode where we talk about the different types of imposter syndrome. and then. It's just going to be rocking and rolling from there. So thanks. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As we wrap up our captivating journey on today's episode of Design Imposter, we want to leave you with an empowering message. Self-doubt may be a universal experience, but it should never define your worth or potential. Embrace the power of your unique voice, trust in your intuition and abilities, and continue creating fearlessly. Remember, you belong in this space and your contributions are immensely valuable. Know that you are never alone on this journey. We stand by your side, ready to support and celebrate you and your business every step of the way. Thank you for joining us today and being an essential part of the Design Imposter community. Don't forget to subscribe, follow us at Design Imposter Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and leave a review to help other imposters find us. Until we meet again, keep those headphones ready.